0: Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's go ahead and I'm just happy that at this time, this last year, we couldn't do this. And now we can have everyone. The idea of rounding people up together was unheard of last year at this time. It was, you know, trying to get people within 85 feet of each other. So I'm happy that we're all back together. Uh, We're still uh, doing our due diligence, praying for everybody, and uh, we are excited to see what God's doing. New Life is doing some great things because of you, because of the willingness of the people to continue to press in, uh, chasing after the presence of God uh, in your giving, in your serving, and everything else that's going on. We're just so happy to see what God is doing here at New Life. Uh, So, uh, September 5th, 2001 was the uh, very first time I ever gave a sermon. Um, It was to the youth group, actually, here at New Life. Um, Heidi and Rusty were the youth pastors at the time. I had roughly six pages of notes, and it took me seven and a half minutes. Yeah. I don't know if some of our... Our ministers will remember the first few times they did it. They thought, oh, this is an hour and a half, solid. And you're like, oh, here we are. I got done speaking. Uh, To be honest, I have no idea what I preached. It was that long It was so long ago. But I remember uh, at that time uh, on our property around the corner, there were uh, Coke machines or, yeah, Coke machines at that time, I think. Um, And I got stopped by one of the students there, of which I was roughly the same age. I had just turned 18. I think she was 16 at the time, and she just talked about how how much it ministered to her life. And I'm standing there going, what? What ministered to your life? Because that was a train wreck of train wrecks. In my head, when I was at home preparing, it was going to be T.D. Jakes-esque, and it came out more like Bob Ross. And it just was was not my thing. I was disappointed. Uh... We fast forward and since then I have been uh, ministering on a, on a regular basis since September of 2001. The first time I spoke to adults actually was in trnitsi Ukraine and I was able to give a sermon there and I don't really know if they liked it or not because I don't speak Ukrainian. Um, but it was one of those things where it began to build. How many of you understand momentum can build positive, it can also build negative? But one of the biggest things with momentum is that momentum takes people continually doing the same thing in a specific direction. We have to build something. We're going somewhere as a uh, church, as a family, as individuals. We're going somewhere in life. But life also has a reactionary force that wants to pull us back, if you know what I'm talking about. So when I graduated from Bible school, was 2003, I had this grandiose idea of me being a pastor, um, having a family, doing everything that I thought I was gonna be doing. Um, I had some set goals. At the age of 25, I wanted to be a minister at the church where I was actually went to school at. And that was a big goal for me because that church had never hired somebody as an ordained minister at that age um, that wasn't family. And so this was a huge thing for me to go to. Uh, so I worked hard. How many of you understand sometimes prosperity and, and promotion is spelled W-O-R-K? We, we, we ain't here today, huh? Yeah, we like checks in the mail. That's a great message. But sometimes it's spelled work. Well, Pete, that's, that's old covenant. No, it's not. In Genesis, God says, be fruitful and multiply before the fall ever happened. He still had a plant. He wasn't laying on his back and, you know, uh, chimpanzees were putting grapes in his mouth and squirrels were giving him, you know, their leftovers. He was still, he didn't have the curse of the ground, but he was still having to plant. Can I say, even if we didn't have a single weed ever again, it would still take work to till ground. You still have to plant seed. You still have to water the seed, and you still have to pick the fruit. That's called work. So I worked hard. I did everything that I could to get to where I was at that season of my life. Also at 25, I wanted to be a father. It's funny because you know everything in your 20s. Everything. So I get the job that I want. Um, I got that promotion that I was seeking after. I find myself in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, living my proverbial dream, find out that I'm going to be a dad. Everything's just lining up. We go to youth, I'm taking some kids to kids camp, and that same year, uh, my pastor calls me and says, hey, I've got a friend who uh, is a traveling evangelist, his kids don't have a camp to go to, can they come with us? Do you have room? And I said, for you, I'll make room. I'll do whatever I can. I'm that guy. Whatever it takes, I'll make room. So his kids meet us, they get on the bus, we start heading. They're quiet, but they're new. You never know. Uh, Part way through, I hear from one of my leaders, "Hey, one of that pastor's kids is throwing up in the in the bus. I thought, man, well. Traveling sickness, it is what it is. We're heading to Hamilton, Alabama at the time. It's a short, you know, 15-hour drive and a bus. We hit through Georgia and the other girl has a fever. I'm like, what are we doing? This is weird. So we get to Hamilton, now both kids are throwing up, both kids have fever and so I call their dad and say, What are you not telling me? What is it that I don't know of this situation? Because something is awry. No one gets that sick that quick without something. Well, what happened was we just came back from Mexico. And I'm like, well, that's not food poisoning, my dude. What, What are you not telling me? Well, so there's a new thing called H1N1, and I'm pretty confident they've got swine flu. Yeah. I said, well, I'm pretty confident you got to come get your kids. He said, well, uh, I'm in Panama City right now. Uh, I'll meet you halfway. I'll meet you in Birmingham, is what he tells me. Hamilton to Birmingham, 45 minutes. I said, that would be great. That will give the girls time to pack. We'll get there. I pack up the kids. I rent a car. I'm driving to Birmingham. I get to Birmingham. I call the dad. Hey, bud, we're here. Where do you want us to meet you at? Uh, well, I haven't gotten quite into Birmingham yet, just keep heading south, and, and, and I'll let you know when I meet you, when I, when I get close. I'm like, okay, okay. So I start driving down south. I hit Pelham. I'm like, my dude. Like, I know how long it took Where are you? Uh, wh- where are you guys? I'm like, Pelham. I'm in Pelham. Where, where are you? Uh, and then I hear the background. So This is before the time where you could watch television on your phone. So to hear a TV in the background means he ain't left. And I hear the NBA playoffs in the background. And I said, my dude, I can hear the TV, you haven't left yet. No, 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 I wanted to finish the game, but I'll be there. I said, these are your kids. You need to come get your kids. He said, all right, just start heading south, I'll meet you. I said, I'm going to Montgomery. I'm parking in Montgomery. You're going to get your kids in Montgomery. So he finally comes up. He gets the kids. I call mom and dad and said, hey, it's late. I need a place to crash. Give me a couple hours of sleep. I'm going to head back up so I can have breakfast with my crew at kids camp um, in the morning. I so said, great, so I sleep, get three, four hours of sleep, wake up, head to Hamilton, get back. And it is what it is. We finished camp, amazing camp. Everything is great. Uh, we get home, and I start to feel sick. I start to feel sick, but can I tell you, I've done youth camps for a long time, and I know, and I get what's called the youth camp flu. Anybody understand what that is? Where you have no sleep, you're burning more calories you're consuming all week, and the calories you are consuming are chicken nuggets. So you haven't seen anything green in a week. Like, it's just, it's fries. That's all, you're You're just crushing french fries, chicken nuggets, corn dogs. So I'm like, it is what it is. I get home and I'm like, there's something seriously wrong. Seriously wrong. I know that this is not the camp flu. I'm pretty confident that I've got the swine flu. I found myself isolating because I didn't want to get anybody sick. Before isolation was a trend. Um, And uh, I found myself having certain thoughts. And those thoughts are, God, why did you do this to me? I'm doing everything I can for you. I made a way where there was no way. I'm working hard for you. Everything I do is for your kingdom. And here I am doing the right thing, adding extra things on, and here I am, the one that's sick. Has anybody ever been there before? A couple of months later, uh, I find out that we lost that child. And I went even darker. I went darker because I felt like God let me down. I've been there. I felt I kind use of disappointed in who he was. And I'm not proud to say the things, the thoughts, the problems, the, the world, things that rolled over in my head over and over and over again. But I found myself at a spot where I go, God, you are not okay. I gave you everything and you're giving me problems back. Has anybody ever been there? See, disappointment happens to all of us at some point in our lives. If it hasn't happened, it will. I hate to be that guy, but you haven't lived long enough. Disappointment, I find out, is a noun. I always thought it was something that happened, but according to the dictionary, It's a person, place, thing, or idea. Disappointment is tangible. It's a something that takes place. Disappointment happens to all of us. In 1492, Columbus went to sell. He was looking for the West Indies, a shorter route. He runs into the Bahamas. I'm pretty confident he was a little disappointed. It was not what he thought it was. But it turned out okay. Let's fast forward 1620, when you see Puritans leaving Holland to this new land because they believe that this new land that they can go to is going to keep them safe and everything's going to be great and everything's going to be beautiful. So they set sail, hit a windstorm, and get pushed north to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. They were going for current day New York City, which is about 240-ish miles away from Target. Now, they can't hop on a train or a plane or a car and head that way, so they're stuck. With no hope, with no chance of survival, on comes, what, Squanto? Samoset, is that his name? Yeah, if I remember right. Sorry, my son's doing history, so I think I'm right there. To go and help show these guys how to survive. This is where we get our Thanksgiving from from this moment right now. But can I tell you, that wasn't a good moment. That was a discouraging moment. I wonder at what point, during the windstorm, or being stuck at Cape Cod, Massachusetts, or realizing that we are going to starve to death, did they go, hey, it's not supposed to be this way. Because I feel like they had this picture in their head: is we're going to leave this European nation of Holland, we're going to head this direction, we're going to have freedoms, we're going to have great. It's a land of plenty. There's everything we can possibly imagine. You got to realize that over a hundred people went there, and I'm pretty sure the sales pitch wasn't: this is going to be the worst time of your life, and you're probably going to die. Pretty sure the sales pitch was all good things. And I wonder at what point do they go, we're leaving this place that we were at to go to a place where we can serve God with everything that we are, and now we're starving to death. I kind of wonder when I put myself into Daniel's shoes, when Daniel is worshiping God his entire life, gets taken as an exile because of a wicked king. It wasn't Daniel's fault. And not to get graphic, but what they did to those exiles makes them unable to bear children. And I'm wondering in that process, at what point did Daniel go, Really, God? Really? This is what's happening. I'm gonna pray. Oh, great, God, you promoted me. Now the king's gonna make a rule. Awesome. I'm wondering at what point did Daniel go, What's gonna happen is, Based on old, old stories, God's going to come in, in the midnight hour. He's going to change the heart of the king. The heart of the king's going to move. We're gonna, I'm going to be promoted again, all these things. And I'm wondering on his march to the lion's den, at what point did he go, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to be rescued. Disappointment happens to all of us at some point in our lives. And I think for me, one of the biggest things is what do we do when disappointment strikes? How do we handle ourselves when it comes? I would love to sit here and get you all hooting and hollering about five ways of prosperity and, 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 and ten blessings that are coming your way, but sometimes life hits us in the face. Sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes life doesn't work out the way you want to, and can I tell you, it's what you do in those opposition times that tells you what kind of Christian you are. Come on y'all, it's easy to serve God when everything's going your way. It's easy to serve God and talk about His blessings and goodness. It's easy to have faith in God when you got more money in the bank than you've got bills. It's easy to talk about how faithful he is when there's $200,000 in the bank, your groceries, your, 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 your pantries are full, your kids are making straight A's, and you stub your toe on the outside, but you find out that it was a gold brick. Those are easy times. But what happens when times aren't that easy? When you're doing the right things, but nothing happens. Nathan, I'm sorry, can I borrow you for a minute? Can you grab that tissue box? Life. Thanks, Bob. Stay right here. Stay here? Uh-uh. uh-uh. I like them shoes, my dude. Those are nice. Like, Can you hold this one? Just hold it out. Hold it out. Hold it out. Nope. Oh, there you go. Is that heavy? You sure? I didn't even hit the gym, but you got that, right? Yeah. You got that. Life and disappointments are a lot like this box. Can I tell you, this is not a trick box. I didn't put lead inside the box. There's not concrete inside the box. It's just tissues. Anybody in this place can hold this box of tissues. It's not that hard. It's not that complex. I don't care how young you are or how old you are, everybody can handle this box of tissues. And you know what's crazy is life, a lot of times with disappointments, are like this. It's not that hard. A singular disappointment in your life is not that crazy. A lot of times what happens is that we don't face the lion's den. We don't find ourselves in a fiery furnace. We don't find ourselves in this huge cataclysmic issue. It's just the small things that take place in our lives. The Bible says that the small foxes spoil the vines. It's the small things that add up. It's the the small increments of pain It's the small parts of rejection. It's the small movements of, I thought God was, but he didn't. I I was expecting something that didn't take place that add up. You okay? You're breathing heavy, my dude. (laughs) So here's what happens. We have issues. We have disappointments. And we have pain. And we do our best to bury it. We do our absolute best to keep it under wraps. We don't address it and we hold on to it. We let it slide. We just think it is what it is. We're not going to move forward. But can I tell you, it doesn't matter how light this box of tissues is. Eventually, it becomes pretty heavy. And here's where we are with disappointment. Because many of us have been dealing with disappointments the wrong way. I have. Maybe you have too. I've been holding it. I've been carrying it. I've been doing it my own. See, the, the Bible tells us that when a disappointment happens, we're not supposed to take it and bury it. We're supposed to take it to the cross. We're supposed to take it to the one who can make it better. In my personal life, when I take disappointments and I try to bury it, I'm taking it out of God's hands and I'm putting it to my hands. I'm taking it out of one person's hands that can handle it, and I'm putting it into my own hands when I can't handle it. You know what happens when I own my own disappointments? I become cynical. You know what I'm talking about? You're positive on the outside, but on the inside, I'm gonna take it from you. You're good, thank you. You're all right? Yes. But on the outside, it's hurting. Somebody comes to you, they want to tell you what God's doing in your life, their life, and you look at them and be like, oh, that's amazing. Hey, Amen, you're believing for that? I'm praying for you. That's beautiful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on my prayer list too. I'm going to stand. I'm going to confess. I'm going to believe. Everything that you, oh, that's beautiful. On the inside, you're like, oh, shy baby. That's not going to happen. You'll find out. You know what I'm talking about? You say the right things. But cynicism, because of disappointment, has caused you to get cold. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when it's revealed, when you see it, it's a spring of life, a river of life. See, one of the biggest ways that I know that we deal with disappointment is that when we start talking about the things of God and God doing something big in your life, you go, he'll do something big in Orlando's life, but he won't do something big in my life. When you find it easier to believe that God will help them more than me, ask yourself why. Most of the time, it's because of disappointment. We typically don't run to the Father with our praying, we hold it, we keep it close. You ever been punched in the stomach? You you double over. You protect. You guard. And here's what happens. So many of us do this on a regular basis, is that we take it from the scepter from God's hand, and now we want to hold on to it. And then when we hold on to it, we now, listen to this, We take the responsibility in our own hearts of picking winners and losers. I think EJ repented, but Steve didn't. I think Ira's going to be okay, but Connie's not. We are now the ones, because of our disappointment, our brokenheartedness, our hard-heartedness, we now feel entitled to do the job of Holy Spirit. But there's not a single person in this place whose job it is to determine the heart of another person. There's not a single person on this earth who has the rights to determine what's in Bill's heart. You know whose job that is? Holy Spirit. He's pretty good at his job. Because he knows more than I know. Disappointment with God happens on many places. Today we're going to quickly look at Luke chapter five. I love this story because it's a story of absolute disappointment that we overlook. Let me set the scene real quick. One day Jesus is ministering on the beach. He's finding himself pushed to the river to the, to the edge. He's at a place called the Lake of Gennesaret. If you've ever been there, it's a really cool spot. It's surrounded by mountains. And Jesus is now finding himself with nowhere to go because there's so many people looking for him. So many people want to hear his message. Off to the side, we see Peter washing his nets. The Bible tells us that he spent all night out there fishing. Somebody say all night. How much did he catch? Not a fish. Not a fish. Listen, I'm not good. But you give me 8, 10, 12 hours, I'll catch something. Nothing. Professional fisherman couldn't catch a fish. You think he was disappointed? We blow past this. We blow past this story. All we're seeing is Jesus preaching, Peter's washing his nets. and We pick up, but what we miss is that Peter looks at Jesus and says... I toiled all night. All night. He wasn't by himself. As a business owner, when you're toiling all night and we see that there's multiple vessels out there and you didn't catch anything, what do you think that means? You went negative. He lost money. He lost money. Why do you think he was fishing at night? Best time to fish. Picture this. Peter launches out with his crew. It's the best time to fish. He's fished this lake his entire life. This is his spot. He knows how to do this. He knows where to go. He knows the nets to use. He knows the tactics. He knows the spots. He knows the times. He can probably look at the sky and determine whether they're going to come in that day or they're not. He knows the weather patterns. He knows fishing. So when he tells his crew, today we're going out, he's telling his crew with an expectation that we're going to catch some fish. This wasn't volunteer hours. He's going out to feed his family. he goes out, and they push out. Now, for this season, the specific time that they're fishing, they didn't go deep. They stayed shallow. They stayed shallow at nights because the fish would spool up. If they had any issues, they could hop in the water, yank them out. He knew what he was doing. They go too deep. The, the nets don't go down far enough, and they're stuck. Fish are going to go under it. It's, that, it's just common sense. So he's doing his thing. Hour one goes, you boys ready? Let's do this. We going to catch some fish? We catching some fish? Yeah. Everything loaded up. Everything's loaded up. They're out there going. They're throwing it in. They're waiting. Nothing. All right, no problem. We'll go to a new spot. They go to a new spot. Nothing. Hey, you know what It happens sometimes, right? It's one of them crazy seasons. Hour three. Hour four. Hour five. Hour six, Peter stops looking around. You did wash them nets, right? You didn't wash them. They can smell. You wash them. How many of you understand, you ever watch a football team when things start to fall apart, that they start fighting with each other? You don't think that happened on a boat? The tension is high because Peter's counting. Every man on this boat, all these other boats, I got to pay them. If I don't catch fish, I can't pay them. Think about stiffing a bunch of fishermen for money. It's probably not gonna go good for Peter. He may be a big boy, but that's a lot of men. He's sweating. Sun's starting to go up. Still no fish. There's a guy walking on the beach. All these people are following him. (laughs) Guys, just go in. Let's just we're just gonna call it a night. We're just gonna wash the nets. We'll take care of it. Disappointed. Peter now is washing the nets. Notice that. You know it's bad when the owner is out there washing the nets. He's disappointed. Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Hey, let me uh, use your boat. Cynical. Peter's like, whatever. At least it can help, help help somebody. Go for it. Jesus preaches. He does his thing. Peter's sitting there disappointed with less money than he had. That's a rough day. Put yourself in his shoes. That's a rough day. You have a big contract. You hire a bunch of men. Contract falls through, but you've already promised them money. That means you're going to take from your kids to give to somebody else. That's a rough day. Jesus looks at Peter and goes, Hey, thanks for letting me use your boat. Let me, uh, let's launch out into the deep and go fishing. You ever been deep sea fishing? It's fun. You use a pole and a string, not a net. One time I got to go deep sea fishing. We went grouper fishing. Everybody went grouper fishing. It was incredible. We go out deep, some of these big wrecks, drop the anchor down. It was a beautiful thing because uh, the company that we went fishing with, they would bait your hook for you, put it in the water for you, and then when it started to bend, they'd go, hey, go ahead and grab your pole, you'd reel it up. They'd take a photo, they'd grab the fish, unhook the fish, clean the fish for you right there on the spot. That's as bougie as you get for fishing. So we are fishing, catching them, boom, 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 boom. We're anchored. All of a sudden, my line goes, whoo, it is screaming. And myself and the deckhand, we are doing our best to make this thing go. And when I tell you the pole is bent so far, it's in the water, and we're pulling, we're pulling, we're trying to crank, it's not cranking. The deckhand goes, I think we hit bottom. I said, my dude, the bottom doesn't run. That's a big fish. It's just screaming. <laughs> I mean, it's just screaming. The captain comes out, <laughs> grabs a <the> knife, <laughs> cuts it. I said, "What was that for?" He goes, "You weren't going to pull that one in." Say, "What was it?" He goes, "It's called a Goliath grouper. They, they can be the size of Volkswagens. We need a bigger boat." I'm like, "I get you." But you know what we didn't do, Rusty? We didn't throw nets out there. No. Why? Because that's stupid. Jesus says, Go out there. And Peter's like, Jesus, I've been doing this all night. Thee ain't there today. Just do it. He goes out there and throws a net. It's the biggest catch he's ever experienced in his entire life. What would you do in that moment? you'd lose your mind. You'd scream, you'd cry, you would dance, because you just made more money in a single drop than you could have imagined on a nighttime worth of fishing. But that's not what Peter does. Peter, read the story, drops to his knees. Don't look at me. Get away from me. Why? Why? Hear this. Because Peter knew in that moment if Jesus could see into the sea, he could see into me. And Peter knew in that moment, I'm not good enough for this. Have you ever been disappointed with who God picks? He picks different people, and you're like, really, dude? That one? I had this conversation today in the mirror. Really, God? This one? Because sometimes disappointment with who he picks causes us to view them in a negative light. Peter in that moment knew exactly through disappointment that he was unworthy of that, but God chose him anyway. Let's look at that word disappointment. I'm not an English major by a long shot. Two words, disappointment. Dis, Latin meaning to reject, disassociate, undo. We all know what an appointment is. You ever had an appointment at a doctor's office? They've double, triple, quadruple booked. You wait, but I had an appointment. I had a reservation. A disappointment is when you have a reservation, and an expectation, and it doesn't happen. You have this expectation in your head. Peter had an expectation the night before, but disappointment takes place and it causes him to lose heart for a moment. And it's in that moment that I've wondered this question, this one big question that is this. What would have happened if Peter would have caught fish the night before? What would have happened if he would have caught a few fish? What would happen if he would have in the hole but not as bad? Jesus would have said, go out there, and he would have said, i got to take these to the market. I can't today. Can I tell you a secret? Sometimes a disappointing situation is an opportunity for your greatest miracle. But it's what you do with it. It's what we do with these moments that matter. See, disappointment in my life led me down a very, very dark road for quite some time. I was angry. I was furious. I would say the right things, but I had a cynical heart. I would get up and talk great, but on the inside, I'm like, it's just not going to work for me. I would sing the songs. I would play the songs. I would do the the dance, but it was an act because on the inside, I was upset. I was stone heart. I was all of those things because I allowed a disappointment to determine my relationship with God. Peter was disappointed, but he allowed that disappointment to create an opportunity to have a relationship with God. Because disappointing situations in our lives, when they're brought to the Savior, create opportunities that we didn't expect. See, we've, we've lived in this Disney world, Pixar world, where we see the damsel in distress, and we see Prince Charming coming. We always know there's going to be a villain. The villain's always going to take the girl. Then the prince is going to go through some kind of a hardship, but then he's going to beat the villain, and he's going to get the girl, and then they live happily ever after. What if I told you you're happily ever after isn't what you picture in your head? But it still can happen. The happily ever after of your story may not be what it is in your mind right now, but don't Give up on God's sovereignty in your life because God can take the ashes of a brokenness and make something beautiful of it. He can take the destruction of what's taking place and He can take your disappointments of life and He can make something beautiful of it because He's that big. He's big enough to take a lost night where nothing is taking place and you're losing money and you're bleeding out and He can make that one moment matter for your life because it was in that moment He says, Follow me. And I'll make you fishers of men. In one disappointing moment, God called one of the greatest disciples. But we stuff our disappointments. How many God moments have I let go by because I wanted to hold on to my disappointment instead of run to the cross? How many moments have I allowed a hard heart because of a man or a woman or a situation or a sickness or a failure determine my disappointing, and then I empower that moment to control my future moments. Because that's what it wants to do. Disappointment wants to be in control of every appointment. Because what happens is, it's not just one, it's two. It's three, it's four, it's five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and then we find ourselves going through the motions. Church becomes a spiritual duty than it does relationship. It becomes an opportunity for us just to put a mask on, to put a filter on, and then we leave, and we're still dealing with a hard heart. But can I tell you, I feel like there's a shift taking place. A good thing, if you will. The good thing is this. Don't throw stones. In the near future, more disappointments are going to come. They are. Whether it's economics, whether it's politics, whether it's relationships, whether it's business, whether it's taxes, (laughs) whatever it may be, whether it's health, you're going to have an opportunity for disappointment. But remember that disappointment's not just a feeling, it's a thing. It's a noun. It's something that wants to take up space in your life. And we cannot give space to that. What we have to do is to find ourselves turning to the cross and running. Running. Absolute, head-on to everything that he is. Can I tell you one last thing? A disappointment? God is not disappointed with you. Uh, This is not a trick question. What does it take for you to make an appointment? A phone call? Yeah, it's two parties agreeing to something. Can I tell you, God never agreed to your perfection that you think. He never looked at you and signed the paperwork. Okay, from here on out, Elaine's never going to make a mistake again. He never created this appointment in his mind of your perfection, your performance. He's not looking for that in your life at all. You know what he's looking for? Progress. A righteous man falls seven, he gets up eight. But what happens is that we've created this thought process because we have been disappointed in God that He must be also disappointed with me. And we have this odd oddities of this war that's taking place right now. Because things that we thought were supposed to go one way didn't. And then we know we've messed up, so we think that God must be also disappointed with us. But can I tell you he chose you from the foundations of the world? knowing all the mistakes you were going to make. Every time you'd slip up and every time you'd fall, every time you doubted, every time you ran, every time you did everything, even Adam, before Adam ran, God already knew. When he looks at him and says, Adam, where are you? He said, I heard your footsteps. I was afraid and I saw myself naked. just so happened that there was a sheep there? He provided a lamb before you committed the sin. Think about that. He created the sheep before he created the Adam. He sent the Savior before Bill could ever mess it up. He knew in advance that we were going to be the people that we are and still... Believed in you enough to make a way. Hear me out. God is not blind. He sees your frailties. He sees my failures. He sees my issues. He sees the thoughts. He sees the feelings. He sees the actions. He hears the words when no one else. He knows those things. God is not blind. He just believes. But isn't that what faith does? Faith doesn't ignore a problem. It just knows that there's a bigger answer. And people go, I can't say that I have a headache because then I'm empowering a greater headache. That's not, that's not how it works. You just know there's a bigger answer. Faith is greater than the problem. And God's faith listen to me, and who He thinks you can be is bigger than your biggest disappointment could ever be. It's not that we ignore problems. Sin is a real thing. I know that's, for some reason, that's a hot topic these days. Sin is real. It's not okay. But grace, mercy, love is bigger. He's not blind. He just believes. He created a way for you. And right now in many of our lives, we're dealing with disappointments. We're dealing with these moments, and I need to start off with this, is that God is not disappointed in who you are. You did not break the appointment because he never made it. He never agreed to this style of perfection, performance, whatever it is that you think that he's looking for, he didn't agree to that. He never made that appointment with you. You may thought you made an appointment, but it didn't happen. You've been there before. Whew. When you show up to the doctor's office for your appointment, and they go, that's next week, sweetie. Ha, ah, ah. ha, ha. It's not the doctor's fault. God never agreed to your appointment. You haven't disappointed him. And it gets to this place where we have to look and go, when life creates disappointments in our lives, am I going to run to the, to the creator or am I going to try to carry it myself? Am I going to decide the winners and the losers? Am I going to create this whole idea of self-empowerment? This whole idea that I can do this on my own? Or are we going to lean into the cross and say, this is my problems, God. This is my pain, God. This is the issues that I've had, God. And he goes, let me help you cast that net a little deeper. Because if he can see into the sea, he can see into me. He knows what's going on and what you need. In this next season of life, you need this more than you've ever needed before. Lean in on his faithfulness. Lean in on his goodness because he will make a way where there's no way because God is a God that creates opportunities when there is no opportunities. He is Jehovah's surprise. He loves to surprise people. God is big. And he loves you very, very much. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you don't disappoint. You don't discourage. You create opportunities in deserts. When there is nothing that can be done, you can always do. We just thank you, God, that in this moment right now, that when people are going through the hardships and the people are going, whether they're online watching or they're listening to a podcast later time or they're here right now, God, that you're you're connecting with them. You're reminding them that, that they've been holding on to things, that they've been carrying it. God, I just thank you that right now. Your word says ha, that it's not just the sin, but the weight that besets us, God. And I just think that we're letting go of weights, God. Letting go of disappointments. We're giving them where they belong, and that's into your your hands the creator's hands the one who can do the most amazing things when no one else can do it the one who can put rivers into deserts god the one who can make fish get caught into a net when it shouldn't be caught into a net the one that can create a quail the one that brings manna the one that does a fire by night and a cloud by day the one that does the impossible today we just thank you god that today is an opportunity for us to lean in to your faithfulness and we just thank you that since you're not disappointed in us, you're not, looking for, uh, you're not looking to punish, God. You're not looking to run. You're looking to embrace. You're looking at the Peters of the world. You're looking at the Pauls of the world. You're looking at all of these disciples that were full of failures, that were full of disgustingness, that were full of issues, and saying that you can make something of them. And today, God, I thank you that in this group of people right now that you can take our disappointments and make a beautiful story out of it, that we can have the happily ever after, God, even if we've tried to burn the story ourselves, that you're still big enough to make something beautiful take place. And we thank you for it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.